Welcome to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Talk radio to inspire, inform, and stimulate. Bringing you enlightened discussions with authors, creatives, innovative business and health professionals, and ordinary people living extraordinary lives. Sharing their expertise and life stories. Making a difference, one word at a time. Now here's your host, Vicki St. Clair. And welcome everybody. Welcome, welcome. Coming in the second half of today's show may be the only thing worse than going through a bad divorce is staying in a bad marriage. And uh, we have Seattle Master Life Coach Sunny Joy McMillan joining us in the second half of the show to help navigate the separation process with peace and clarity. Her new book is called Unhitched. But first, very common problem, I think. Do you eat to calm anxiety, to lift depression, to soothe frustration? Well, Julie Simon joins me now to share how we can rewire our brains and stop emotional eating patterns using simple, proven techniques based on the latest neuroscience. Julie Simon is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She founded the popular 12-week emotional eating recovery program in L.A. and online, and she offers workshops at venues like Whole Foods and universities. She authored the Emotional Eater's Repair Manual, and her latest book is called When Food is Comfort, Nurture Yourself Mindfully, Rewire Your Brain, End Emotional Eating. Julie Simon, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And my pleasure. And uh, I told you before we started, you said many radio hosts have the same problem. Uh, I have a tendency to do this. I'm much more mindful than I used to be about it, but it's still a problem for me. And uh, I'm guessing it is for a lot of people. It definitely is. I mean, we know that <clears throat> excuse me, two-thirds of adults in the United States are overweight, and 80 million Americans are regular dieters. So we've got many, many people struggling to uh, address their overeating or imbalanced eating challenges. Right, right. So uh, emotional eating is obviously work you feel inspired to explore and and share with others. You already wrote the Emotional Eater's Repair Manual. I haven't seen that, uh, Julie, but I'm wondering if somebody might have seen that. Does this book, When Food is Comfort, follow on from that? Is it totally different? It actually follows on from the first book. And one does not have to have read my first book to um, to work with the second book because I, I... kind of help people get up up to speed on some of those skills. Um, the first book is a great first read if you're struggling with emotional eating um, because I, in the first book I cover the mind, the body, and the spirit imbalances that lead us to turn to food. And in the first book I uh, begin to cover some of the mindfulness skills, but because that book I'm covering uh, body balancing and spiritual imbalance. I don't have enough time in the first book to to do a deeper dive. So in the second book, we do a much deeper dive. So together, uh, it'll be really powerful for anyone who's struggling with this. Right. Um, And you are a therapist. You see patients about this. You teach workshops, but you've also had your own struggles with this. I wonder if you'd share with us what that looked like for you and how it impacted your life. Yes, you know, uh, I like to go back <clears throat> to my teen years and my 20s because I think that's where it starts for a lot of girls. 
we start to put on a little bit of weight sometimes in puberty. We get off to college. We put on those freshmen 15. And we live in a culture that encourages dieting, very strong diet mentality. There was, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago. Now there's still a very strong diet mentality today. <clears throat> and so like many of the people that come to see me, very early in my life, I started counting calories and carbohydrates, grams and fat grams, and weighing and measuring my food and weighing and measuring my body. And I did that for many years, but it didn't solve my eating challenges. In fact, it made them worse. It led to compulsive binge eating. And throughout my challenges with overeating, I always intuitively felt that it, that we're not meant to be overweight, that we're not meant to be underweight, that we all have a natural weight. And I wanted to figure out, and, and I also knew we weren't meant to count calories and carbohydrate and fat grams and weigh and measure our food and weigh and measure our bodies. Our ancestors didn't do it. Animals in the wild don't do it. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I've got to go on a, I was on a quest trying to figure out all the pieces of the overeating puzzle. And over time, I did figure out all of those pieces, mind, mind uh, imbalances, emotional imbalances, physical imbalances that were contributing to my overeating or imbalanced eating, and spiritual imbalances. And one of the most important things that I discovered was that I was an emotional eater. So I was turning to food to calm and soothe myself. And it it helped numb the pain of unpleasant emotions and self-doubts and negative thoughts. It altered my brain chemistry. And I, during my journey, I began to realize that I entered uh, adulthood and I was missing many basic self-care skills, like the ability to move through unpleasant emotional states, comfort and soothe myself, reframe those self-defeating thoughts, and regulate my nervous system. And so these were missing skills, and I began the journey of learning how to do all of this, and then began to solve some of the other pieces of the puzzle, and as I had some really good recovery, I began to realize that full recovery was possible, not not that we're always recovering, but that we can have, this can be behind us. At the time when I was stuck in it, I didn't even know that if that was possible, and then I knew that I had to get out of, ever since I've been super passionate about helping people resolve their eating challenges. Right, right. So let's look at some of the contributing factors because um, we do this, it it becomes a habit. I'm I'm speaking for myself here, right? (laughs) It becomes a habit. Um, You're irritated or frustrated or anxious and instead of identifying what you're feeling, you just reach for a cookie, whatever, and it gives you that temporary and it is very temporary relief, right? Um, right. So let's talk about some of the contributing factors because you say it's actually quite a complex behavior. It really is a complex behavior. <clears throat> and I like to kind of define emotional eating because I think when we define emotional eating, you can kind of get an idea of all the pieces right. that are leading you to turn to food and areas that are going to need uh, a a deeper look. So, for example, if you use food, excuse me. Do you you need to take a little break so you can have a drink? It's terrible when you get a frog in your throat, and we're live. I I know that. Okay, you want to take a quick break? Yeah, we'll go to break, and when we come back, we'll continue where we left off, okay? 
Uh, you're listening to Conversations Live with Vicky St. Clair and my guest is Julie Simon. Her new book, When Food is Comfort. Stay with us, we'll be right back. Parkinson's disease affects as many as one million people in the United States. At the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, it's our mission to beat this disease. To learn about the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, or if you want to help support our work, visit our website, pdf.org, or call us at 800-457-6676. In the Northwest, contact the Northwest Parkinson's Foundation at nwpf.org. Looking for unconditional love, an exercise buddy, or a great listener? Paws has the dog or cat of your dreams, just waiting to meet you. We've made thousands of perfect matches since 1967 because everyone needs a warm, safe place to call home. Find out more today at paws.org or call 425-787-2500. Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, we'll explore the magic of circle work, the practice that women around the world are using to heal and empower themselves with Jalal Hall Bonheim. And if you're feeling trapped in a job that's deadening your soul and crushing your spirit, career coach Maya Dewar provides a six-step framework to help you find your higher calling and work that matters. Tune in Monday at noon Pacific time or catch an encore Fridays at 6 a.m. Catch up with past shows on conversationslive.net. Chat with Vicky on Twitter at Vicky St. Clair. Hi, this is Vicky St. Clair. If you have a business, service, or event and would like to deliver your message to a large audience, call me at 425-269-4772. Let Conversations Live shine the spotlight on you. Call 425-269-4772. Thanks for listening to Conversations Live with Vicky St. Clair. Join us live every Monday at noon on Alternative Talk 1150 or stream live from conversationslive.net. Conversation you won't find on the rest of the dial. Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. And my guest is psychotherapist uh, Julie Simon. She's the author of When Food is Comfort. And uh, Julie, we were talking about, you were defining what you mean by emotional eating. So let's go ahead and, and get that defined. Yeah, so for example, if you use food as a tranquilizer to dull emotions that are difficult to cope with, like anxiety, anger, sadness, frustration, loneliness, shame, even happiness and excitement. Maybe you're using food to calm yourself when you're experiencing unpleasant bodily sensations like agitation, nervousness, muscle tension. Maybe you're turning to food for soothing and comfort. Many of us use food for pleasure, escape, fulfillment, and excitement. We eat when we're stressed out. Perhaps you're eating when you feel numb. Maybe you use food to silence negative, critical, self-defeating thoughts and quiet your mind. Perhaps you eat when you're overwhelmed and you're feeling paralyzed and can't get to your to-do list. Maybe you eat to distract yourself from low-motivation states like boredom or apathy. Perhaps you eat as a way to procrastinate. Maybe you eat because your life lacks purpose and meaning and passion and inspiration. And you may be trying to fill up an inner emptiness with food. So in order for us to resolve our emotional eating, we have to begin to unpack it and understand what is leading us to turn to food for comfort? Right, right. For soothing, for distraction. Right. You say that some emotional eaters um, have a hard time attracting nurturing people and may have self-sabotaging behaviors that 
that they engage in and that kind of perpetuate, perpetuates the issue. Yes, you know, in the book, I, I teach you how to soothe and comfort and nurture yourself and meet your true non-food needs without turning to food. And so many emotional eaters, once they're starting to master some of these skills, they say to me, gee, you know, I wish that my friends and my family had these skills, you know, because I'm realizing that I haven't been able to nurture myself and I've attracted others who can't nurture themselves or me. And often these people tell me that they'd like to attract more nurturing people into their lives. And so in part three of the book, we take a look at what patterns you might have that might be keeping you from attracting nurturing people into your life. So perhaps you're attracted to emotionally unavailable people. Perhaps you're a caretaker and you kind of attract, you know, people with broken, you attract broken wing birds. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe you're too judgmental yourself. Maybe you're impatient with the process of calling in the right people. So in, in that part of the book, we take a look at how, what are the patterns that you have that keep you from attracting, nurturing others? And then we also, in that section of the book, we also learn how to nurture others because they're not going to necessarily go through the mindfulness practice that we've learned. They may not want to. But how are we going to learn how to nurture others better? Because sometimes parents come to me and say, now that I've learned inner nurturing, the mindfulness practice I teach in the book, I realize that I need to nurture my children better. So in that part of the book, I teach four habits that highly empathic people practice in order to nurture those closest to us. Right. And you say that current brain science does show that a lack of consistent uh, emotional nurturance in infancy and childhood uh, can be part of this problem in in uh, in having difficulty in self-regulating. Yes, I mean that's the what's so uh, exciting is that the neuroscience now uh, in the past ten twenty years is really showing us that the quality, the the consistency and sufficiency of the nurturance that we get early in our lives wires our brain in a particular way, and we need to have consistent and sufficient emotional nurturance from our caregivers on a regular basis in order for structures, the structures of our brain, the integrative circuits of our brain to form properly so that we actually can manage our impulses and behaviors, regulate ourselves and our emotions and our moods. And so if we get the right kind of nurturance, our brain is going to be wired in a way that we can do that. The wonderful news is that if we didn't get that kind of nurturance when we were young, and even if our caregivers were kind and loving and well-intentioned, sometimes they didn't get uh, their brains wired in the right way when they were young. Even if we missed out on that, mm-hmm. we can now practice mindfulness skills, the skills I teach in both my books, and we can rewire our brain so that it's, it's ready uh, to help us regulate all of those behaviors and moods and impulses and emotions and and move forward in life in the way that we want to. Right, right. You mentioned uh, a little while ago the seven skills that you teach in here uh, in your inner nurturing practice, uh, your mindfulness practice. And um, I want to just 
talk a little bit about, because you talk about body sensations, moods, thoughts, emotions. Um, I want to talk about why it's important to recognize what's an emotion versus what's a thought. Say it again, what the emotions are. What, what's, why we need to recognize what's an emotion versus what is a thought. Okay. So when you want to turn to food, generally you're, you're experiencing something going on in your body. So it, let's assume that you're not hungry, okay, and you want to grab a cookie. Or uh, maybe you even are hungry, but you don't want to eat a healthy meal. You know what healthy is. You don't right. want to eat a healthy <laughs> meal. You want to choose a really fatty, greasy, um, unhealthy meal. And you're, you know you're doing this more often than is good for your body, and so you know something is going on, okay? So before, so on your way to the drive-thru, you know you're going to do some damage, I would ask you to stop and check in with yourself, okay? I call it, in my first book, I call it Establishing the Habit of Self-Connection. And just checking in with yourself briefly, it doesn't have to take a lot of time. What am I feeling? You know, I'm... I'm I'm a little bit hungry, but I'm kind of, I have that urge to, you know, like really get comfort food. What am I feeling? What emotions am I feeling? And what bodily sensations am I having? And, and we'll get to thoughts, but the reason it's important to start with emotions and bodily sensations is that generally what leads us to turn to food is that we're what we call dysregulated. Our emotions are all over the map. Our body is having sensations that are unpleasant or uncomfortable. Maybe we're having anxiety or maybe we're having tension in our body. Maybe our stomach is hurting. So we want to start by paying mindful attention to what our body is trying to tell us. Our, our, our mind, body, and spirit are so wise. and They're giving us signals every day. And emotions and bodily sensations are precious signals from within there to guide us. So we must start with the basics, with the basic signals from within, giving us the information that something's amiss, okay? Mm -hmm. We start there, and what's beautiful about starting there, and the reason we start there is that just the act of paying attention to our emotions and our bodily sensations is regulating. It is already comforting and soothing just to stop get quiet and pay attention to this stuff. The next step that we have, and there's many more, but the next step is called validation, self-validation. So we're going to even regulate our, our nervous system and our emotions even more by validating that it's okay to feel what we're feeling. And it makes sense to feel what we're feeling. So the whole reason we start with emotions is because when we're, when we're, uh, highly reactive, we need calming. Before we can access our thinking brain, you said, why is it important to address emotions versus thoughts? We're not ready to address thoughts when, when we're uh, agitated and highly reactive. We, just, we can't access a, our logical, rational brain at that point in time. And that's why we can't use logical arguments to regulate our behavior and say, don't eat the cheesy burger. Right. We can't. We don't have access to that part of the brain. We're stuck. We came from work. We're upset. We're stuck in the emotional brain, the highly reactive emotional brain. So we need to 
skills to begin to calm and soothe and regulate the nervous system so that we can get to that rational brain and start start using our, our logic and our reason. Right, right. One of the things you say uh, is important is to um, get clear on our needs. And um, I know from talking with so many people about a, a variety of different subjects that that's a big thing for a lot of people. They don't understand what their needs are. They're not clear on those. So what do you have to say about that, uh, Julie? Well, I think people aren't clear on a lot of uh, things that go on internally, right? So that's why it's very important for us to start with our emotions and our bodily sensations because, believe it or not, those very precious signals from within are going to lead us to our needs. So once we are more calm, we come back from the day we had an argument with a coworker, we didn't like something our boss said, we're ready to go in the drive-through, we pull away from the drive-thru and we just maybe take a pad of paper out or a piece of paper and write and we address all the feelings that we're having and we notice the sensations going on in our body and we validate what we're feeling with a, a kind loving voice that we learn to develop then we're going to get clear on our needs and just like many many people are not clear on their emotions and they don't really even know what bodily sensations they're having oftentimes people have a very hard time figuring out what what they need but in my book, I give lists of needs, you know, to help you do this. And we're going to connect to ourselves. And maybe in the beginning, we'll have a really hard time figuring out what we need, but we can look at these lists and we can say, wow, I didn't realize it, but I think I need comfort. You know, we might start out with big needs, which are too big to even address. Like, I need a new job. You know, I need a new life, right? That's too big. Right. What do I need in this moment when when my heart is racing, when my head is pounding, and when I'm upset and angry and hurt, well, I guess I need comfort. I guess I need soothing. I guess I need reassurance. I guess I need validation. It's okay to feel all these feelings. I guess I'm needing hope. I need hope that things can change, right? Once we start to connect to ourselves in this way, it feels good. I've never met anyone who didn't feel better from connecting to themselves in a loving way and getting more clear. Yeah, makes perfect sense. I think we need to hug more, <laughs> a lot maybe more. We need to, maybe I need a hug. Maybe <laughs> I need self-touch. Even so, the body doesn't know the difference between someone else's hug and your own. Right, right. That's And that's, I think, why animals are so... Uh, important in in health recovery because they gives that emotional support to people exactly touch is so powerful i mean the oxytocin starts flowing the chemical of calm and uh but you know what we can even do that even if you don't have an animal i teach people how to do it with a stuffed animal yeah just hugging <laughs> a stuffed animal is soothing yes i i had it well i still have a teddy bear that i was born with <laughs> Yes, it's, we women really know how how stuffed animals work, right? Uh, you know, people laugh at me, but uh, that will never go. That will be buried with me. Yes, um, that's so, your source. <laughs> so a lot of people, uh, you know, live with other people who may not have an eating problem or a weight problem or uh, not even be, you know, not even be able to begin to understand what it's like to be an emotional eater. Um, how does somebody who's living with someone like that cope? What do, what do they need to tell them so that the other person understands 
um, you know, hey, I'm working through this. Well, you know, it's funny. I just had a mother calling me recently, you know, just up in arms about her daughter being 100 pounds overweight and trying to push every diet on her she can. And the mother said, can I just have a consultation with you about this? And, and I said to her, you know, you really have to back off. You really have to understand that this is a deeper problem. It's not about finding the next diet for your daughter. And you really have to understand that when you when you try to uh, address this with other people, it's very shaming. And part of the reason that people get into these places where they're 50 to 100 pounds overweight is because they've had too much shame, you know, somewhere in their lives. So you don't want to increase shame. And so when, whenever you're dealing with anyone that you care about that has a problem like this, I think just letting them know that you care and that you're there for help and that you, you know there's some challenges. And take the focus off of losing weight if, if the person is overweight. Take the focus off of losing weight and suggest that perhaps they see someone, you know, for some of the things they're going through in life. Perhaps they sign up for my 12-week program. But take the focus off of losing weight and put the focus on to gaining skills. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can say to your loved one, I'm I'm wondering if maybe there's some skills that uh, you feel are missing that are, you know, keeping you kind of stuck in a cycle that you're not happy with. Right. Right? Yes, and focusing on that self-care. Absolutely uh, great information in this book, Julie. A final, very quick, 30-second thought you'd like to leave our listeners with today. I would just like to leave our listeners with the notion that there is 100% full recovery. If you're struggling with emotional eating, if you're struggling with your weight, you don't. Have, the answer is not another diet. You really are just missing some self-care skills. Everybody can learn these, whether you're you know, 20 years old or 85 years old. You can learn these skills, and you can put an end to your emotional eating. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us, Julie Simon. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And you can find out more about Julie at her website, overeatingrecovery.com. And both of the books, The, the Emotional Eater's Repair Manual is, is her first book. And we've been talking mostly today about when food is comfort. Nurture yourself mindfully, rewire your brain, and end emotional eating. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Sunny Joy McMillan. Please stay with us. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Let's see if I... I guess that... <sighs> this just isn't working. Knowing you have a great idea for a book is one thing. Writing it, another. So what's stopping you? Maybe you can't find time. Maybe you don't know where to begin. Maybe you wrote a couple of chapters, then disappeared down a rabbit hole. Or maybe you'd rather someone else write it for you. Partnering with the right coach or ghostwriter can make all the difference between talking about your book and finishing your book. As an award-winning writer and strategic consultant, Vicki St. Clair's storytelling credits span from business, health, 
self-help, and memoir to New York Times and USA Today best-selling anthologies. Vicki partners with people just like you at the exact level you need, whether you need a little encouragement, editorial guidance, or full-blown ghostwriting and consulting services. If you're serious about telling the story you know is inside you, stop procrastinating. Let's get your story down on paper. Contact Vicki today. Email Vicki at VickiStClair.com or call 1-800-495-7617. See more about Vicki and her work at VickiStClair.com. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, we'll explore the magic of circle work, the practice that women around the world are using to heal and empower themselves with Jalal Hall Bonheim. And if you're feeling trapped in a job that's deadening your soul and crushing your spirit, career coach Maya Dewar provides a six-step framework to help you find your higher calling and work that matters. Tune in Monday at noon Pacific time or catch an encore Fridays at 6 a.m. Catch up with past shows on conversationslive.net. Chat with Vicki on Twitter at Vicky St. Clair. Thanks for listening to Conversations Live with Vicky St. Clair. Follow me on Twitter at Vicky St. Clair. An alternative to everything else on your radio dial. Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Well, we are joined now by Sunny Joy McMillan, a familiar name to many of you, I'm sure, here at KKNW. She's one of uh, KKNW's hosts. She's also a recovering attorney, as so many are these days, <laughs> and master life coach. And uh, she's passionate about empowering adults to make soul-based relationship and work choices. And we're going to talk today about her new book uh, that's coming out. It's called, I'm not sure if it's out yet, uh, but we'll find out in just a moment, Unhitched, Unstick Your Bad Marriage. Sunny Joy McMillan, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Vicky. So, so happy to be here. <laughs> My pleasure. So is the book out yet or is it, is it pending? It's, 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 the print copies are pending. So you can, through Amazon, get the Kindle version right now, but the actual print copies will not be available until later this year. We had um, Morgan James picked it up and the cover is changing a little bit, but the book will stay the same. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So um, as, as the title implies, Unhitched, it's about unsticking your bad marriage. Um, yeah. And it's, I would describe it as part memoir, but you, you share tools and resources that you found helpful going through your process. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. Yeah. I really wanted to share my own story because I have been there and I knew that the thing that got me moving and kept me moving forward in dark times were other people's stories. So I wanted to make sure I included that. But also there were some very tangible tools and things that I used uh, as a part of not only extricating myself from the marriage in a graceful way, but healing on the other side. Because even though I was the one that ultimately decided to pull the plug, there's still so much to go through, uh, even if you feel really secure about your choice. So many yeah, things to I heal. don't think it matters who pulls the plug, because I think inevitably both people are involved at some level to that, mm -hmm. <laughs> usually, usually. <laughs> 
Um, so later in the segment, I want to look at some of those tools that helped mm-hmm. you get through the separation process and come to the decisions you came to. But first, I want to begin with how it all began for you, because although the emotions you share in the book are pretty universal, your particular circumstances were not, I think it's fair <laughs> to say. You write, I was married to a wildly successful Erin Brockovich style attorney who provided us with a ridiculously over the top lifestyle. We split our time between a breathtaking Austin penthouse and a gorgeous oasis of property in the Hollywood Hills. We took fancy vacations. We drove luxury cars. My life had never looked so shiny and Instagram perfect on the outside. <laughs> yeah, that's the key point there, the outside. <laughs> so um, so what was going on? Tell us what was going on. Well, so to really back it up, and I'm this is total honesty, growing up, and my parents are, you know, horrified when I tell these stories because this was not something they taught me. This was just something that I picked up, I think, in the cultural soup. I was raised in a small community in Texas. And um, there were some things that, when I looked around, were very important to the people around me, money and education. And my entire self-worth from the time I was very young was wrapped up in that. And I thought the only way to feel good about myself was to get as much education and as much money as possible. And then, maybe, maybe then, I would feel okay when I walked into a room full of people. I would feel worthy and I would feel valued. Um, So I spent the entire first 30-some-odd years of my life um, chasing these things, making sure that the that I went to a graduate school program. I went to law school at UT, and I thought, well, law school, people will respect that for sure. Okay, so I'm going to go to law school, not because I love the law, but because I wanted to feel better about myself. And I had this list of things that I wanted in a spouse. And my now ex-husband, you know, he fit all of those uh, on the list. And so I created this entire identity around what Martha Beck calls the social self to the exclusion of the essential self, the part of me that was kind of dying on the vine inside that nothing that I was doing externally was fulfilling to that heart, spirit, soul mm-hmm. component, the essential self. Right. Yeah. So I I'd, I'd created it myself and then got into it. And it's one of those things where I feel like our cultural, te- cultural um, messaging is such that if you have the right amount of money and the fancy house and, uh, you know, the 2.5 kids or whatever, then you will be happy. And I had a really unique opportunity to basically win the lottery by marrying my ex-husband. I had it, quote, had it all, and it wasn't enough. And I realized there was something much more that needed to be filled. Right. And we handle situations in different ways. Um, one of the things that you did, you write about is, and you're very open about it, you started acting out, staying mm-hmm. out late, drinking too much. Mm-hmm. This is causing friction. Reading it, it was because he was 11 years older than you. It's almost like a child parent rebellion thing going on there. You nailed it, Vicki. That's exactly what it was. And, and we've, you know, for those who aren't familiar with my story, um, I've now been divorced. Um, I left the marriage in about 2011. And of course, there were several years of legal proceedings. And we did it very gracefully. We used the collaborative law model. But we get along better now than we ever did while we were married. And we've talked about that very thing. I wanted a parent. I was a really bratty, entitled child, basically. And I wanted someone who would take care of me. And then I would get resentful that I didn't feel empowered. It was so much on my own shoulders of what I had asked for and created. And and he didn't want to be a parent any more than I needed a <laughs> no. husband that was a parent, you know? <laughs> no. And so uh, so were you practicing law while you were married or you, you were a stay-at-home wife? So for the first couple of years of our marriage, um, I, got, I took the bar the summer before we got married. I started practicing the week after we got back from our honeymoon. 
And I practiced for about two years. And then we started splitting our time between Austin and L.A. And I was not happy as an attorney. It was not a great fit for my my essential self. Um, And so within about two years, under the guise of, you know, we are splitting our time and I just can't make my billable hours, I quit. And I was basically a bored housewife from then forward until I left the marriage. Um, and, you know, I when I say bored, man, I was out almost every night. I was taking girls trips at least once a month, like anything I could do to distract from what was happening in the home that was not fulfilling for me. Right. And so the crux came when? What was the what was the big pivot point for you? So um, it was actually finding the writing of Martha Beck. Dr. Martha Beck. And um, I read an article about the essential self and the social self and the light bulb went off and I thought, oh my gosh, this is, now there are words to articulate what it is that is making me so unhappy. I have created a life around my social self and I have no idea who I really am. I'm just a surface of facades and, you know, Instagram photos, basically. Right, right. Yeah, so. And I, I read that going to the Burning Man, the, yes. the big festival was was a big thing because when you came back home, Everything felt empty and kind of shallow. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Because when for those who have been to Burning Man, you know, there are Fortune 500 CEOs there and there are people who've been just nomadically traveling around doing these kind of festivals and anything in between. But when you hit those gates, you shed every piece of social skin you have. And it's just everybody was just there being themselves. And I'd never been in an environment like that. So that combined with the writing of Dr. Martha Beck, who really put a voice to me not being in my right life. It's like once I learned that stuff, I couldn't unring that bell. I could not go back and in, in integrity stay where I was. Yeah. And um, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you was because mm-hmm. you do talk about uh, tools in the book that helped you. And Dr. Martha Beck was one yeah. of them. Katie Byron was another. Mm-hmm. I I understand both very highly respected people and they've helped millions of millions of people. Their work doesn't necessarily resonate with me. And this is a key thing because you've got to find what works for you. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree with that more. I was just having this conversation with someone last week because Martha Beck is one of the top teachers of my heart for this lifetime. There are many people who are saying similar messages but they, it just doesn't resonate in the same way. So it's just like finding a doctor or finding your mate. It has to be a perfect, unique fit for what you need and how they are packaging it for you. Right, right. And so as you're going through the divorce and you uh, decide to, what, at what point did you decide to coaching was where you needed to be? Yeah, well, I came at it kind of backwards. Um, and a lot of people that I know who are coaches. <laughs> but it's not how the, some of the best things happen. <laughs> exactly, you know? exactly. Yeah, so I... Um, had gone to a workshop at Martha's Ranch. This was right around the time when my marriage was drawing to a close. And I just knew, having read all of her books in quick succession, then going to this workshop at her ranch, I needed to be connected to her. And I got a little email um, while I was traveling abroad and had just a couple days of email access and catch up. And the first email that opened up was, hey, life coach training starts with Martha Beck. It was the weekend or the week that I would be getting back to the United States. And it was unlike my decision about law school, like weighing it for days and what's the right school and what program is going to meet my needs. I just saw the register now button for Martha's Life Coach Training. And it was like straight from my heart to that register now button. I did it without giving it a second thought. And only after having been in the program for a couple of months did I notice that I really liked helping people. It was the kind of service that I'd been looking for for years but hadn't found the fit for. And what prompted you to move up here to Seattle? So I met my current partner around the same time that all of this was happening. And he was doing a brief stint in Texas. 
He was not happy there and wanted to get back to Seattle. I knew I wanted to move back to the West Coast, but L.A. felt very unhealthy and scary and painful for me. I'd never been north of San Francisco. Of course, I visited Seattle on a beautiful weekend in August, <laughs> a wedding on a lake. <laughs> What'd you say? You sold me a bill of goods. No. Yeah, <laughs> but I have to weather. say, Vicki, the, the, the winters here are so much more tolerable to me than summers in Texas. So it's oh been a gosh. very good I, I would totally agree with you on that one. I would agree. Well, let's take a quick break. Yeah. Um, I want to, when we come back, look at the book that you've written, Unhitched, mm-hmm. and some of the tools and resources you talk about in there. Okay? Absolutely. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, and my guest is Sunny Joy McMillan and her book, Unhitched. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. At Sundown Communications, we find that most of our clients are brilliant at what they do, but they lack the time and resources to write and create business messaging that delivers results. That's where we come in providing a diverse range of professional copywriting services for fresh strategic web content, PR, advertising and promotion, marketing, speeches, and much more. Call us today so you can focus on what you do best, and we'll do the rest. Call 800-495-7617. That's 800-495-7617. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to New Pro Supplements, we cover the world of animals. This week, May 20th, it's an Encore Helen Sunday. With Natural Geographic Explorer and best-selling author Helen Thayer in the studio, she updated us on her plans to return to Death Valley with her new dog, delighted us with more of her stories, plus we learned all about her adventure classroom and how you can have Helen come to your home, business, or classroom. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Hi, this is Vicki St. Clair. If you have a business, service, or event and would like to deliver your message to a large audience, call me at 425-269-4772. Let Conversations Live shine the spotlight on you. Call 425-269-4772. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Talk radio to brighten your day. Seattle, Tacoma, Antwerp? That's right. We're streamed worldwide on our app and on the web at 1150kknw.com. And welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, and my guest is Sunny Joy McMillan. Uh, yes, she's a host here on KKNW. <laughs> if you're just joining us and thinking that name sounds familiar. Her new book is called Unhitched, Unstick Your Bad Marriage. And um, so this is coming out in print when again? Um, So I will have some print copies in hand to give away hopefully this summer, but it should be available in Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the online and -and brick-and-mortar places uh, in December of 2018. Okay, great. So we talked about how you got here, et cetera, et cetera. I want to look now at some of the people who made a difference to you to help you get through that. Because I'll tell you the three people who helped me, um, Stephen Covey, because this was a, a long time ago for me. Uh, Stephen Covey, Joseph Campbell, 
I studied really in depth. And Joyce Chapman, who happened to be a life coach that I'm, I've been friends with for 20 years now. Yeah. So, um, but Martha Beck and Katie Byron were very significant for you. Mm-hmm. And um, go a little bit in more depth, if you would, about why, let's start with Martha Beck, why she, her work resonated with you so much. Yes. So um, I think she is an interesting blend of science and spirituality. And these days, she's just absolutely shamelessly mystical and spiritual. But back then, when I was connecting with her work, I really identified because she was an academic at Harvard. So her approach was very evidence-based, yet it allowed for some, some magic to come in. So it really changed my relationship with the universe. And the other thing that she did that was very important I'd had a therapist when I was really unhappy in the marriage, and this was a therapist that I'd seen from basically when we got back from the honeymoon all the way through to the end and, you know, in bits and pieces throughout the marriage. And she asked me one time, because I would come in and I would have my arms crossed and I would be sitting in this kind of hunched over position, and she'd say, Sonny, what is happening in your heart space? And I'd be like, what do you mean what's happening in my heart space? I was completely living from the neck up, especially given that I was still practicing as an attorney for a lot of that. You're not really emphasized that the mind-body connection is not something that's encouraged. Right. So what she did was she keyed me into this place in my heart. And so what Martha's writing really did was take that mind-body connection and tell me that my body was speaking to me in ways just like a polygraph test. When you say something that's untrue, unless you're a sociopath or a psychopath, there's an immediate and automatic physical response. And I was basically living in a state of muscular contraction in my heart space. And there was this quote that Martha used in one of her books, and it's paraphrased from the Buddha. And it says that when you encounter a body of water, you will know it is the ocean because it tastes of salt. I love yes. that, by the way. Yeah. And I underlined that. I love that quote. Yeah. I kept, Vicki, I went back to that quote day after day because she said, you know, in the same way that, that you will know the body of water because it tastes of salt, in the same way you will know enlightenment and truth because it tastes of freedom. Not safety, not comfort, and freedom. And if I was really honest, if I would come back to my life in that marriage, I couldn't get to freedom. I felt heavy, constricted, and not free. And, you know, I've been with my current partner for six or seven years now, and I feel so free, even though we are entirely committed to one another. So I want to just clarify, I don't mean if you're partnered up, you're not free. I was not in a partnership that encouraged my authentic self and freedom. And that was as much my fault as it was my ex-husband's and what we created together. It wasn't all his fault by any stretch of the imagination. But she got me in touch with what it felt like to be free. And I could have stayed in that marriage and it would have been fine and I would have had a lot of the, you know, fancy stuff that culture says we're supposed to be striving towards. But I knew that if I did that, I wouldn't be free in my most essential self. And that was what became most important to me. Yeah, that feeling of freedom, it's not something you can express. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's the state of mind as much as anything. And if that's compromised, mm-hmm. whether it's in a relationship or a work situation or mm-hmm. the state you live in, etc., cetera, it, it's very detrimental, I think, to your health and well-being. Absolutely. I mean, it really, uh, Greg Braden talks about this. That when you are in a situation where you're feeling powerless, either the job is not right for you, the relationship isn't right, but you feel trapped, it's creating a stress response in the body. And over time, you know, that's killing your immune function. It's taking away from your longevity. Your body is manifesting this as stress. And, you know, until you make a change to take away that trapped, powerless feeling, you're going to be taking away years of your life, basically. Right, right. 
So let's talk about Katie Byron because she's also very influential uh, to you. And again, brilliant woman, helped millions of people. It doesn't resonate at all with me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but this is the good thing. You know, we have so many sources out there that do yes. resonate with us. So what, what is it about her work that speaks to you and, and why? Yes. And I will just say, I will acknowledge, Vicki, that I have a lot of clients. My go-to um, uh, tools for thought dissolving with clients are based in Katie's work. But I will say that I have many clients who come through the door for whom her work does not resonate. And in that case, we use something different. So you're not alone. There are a lot of people who don't, who just really don't gel with her work. For me, the thing um, I would say throughout the course of my marriage, my ex-husband, as you mentioned, he's a very successful uh, attorney who is just a master in the courtroom. And so I felt like in much of my marriage, I was on the witness stand or I was being deposed. Mm -hmm. And understandable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but it was very easy because he was so successful and good at what he did for me to say, oh, I've got this hot tempered husband who is just wants to control me all the time. And I had this really good victim story going. And he was not blameless, Vicki, but I was as much co creating the situation. And so, what Katie's work did for me was it allowed me to take full responsibility for my part. And so I'll give you an example. Like I said, I felt I had this story going. It was a very victim-based story of that I am the victim of a hot-tempered husband who is hell-bent on controlling me. And Katie's work actually has you take these thoughts that you have. That was mine, that, you know, I was this victim of this uh, hot-tempered husband. And it has you turn it around a number of different ways and look at it to see if perhaps the opposite might be true. And the whole goal with this is to create some mental space so you're not so tied to a story that you can't get out of it and you can't move forward. So let's just, for example, take that thought that, um, that I was the victim of a hot-tempered husband who was hell-bent on controlling me, and I turned it to its opposite. Okay, my husband was the victim of a hot-tempered wife who was hell-bent on controlling him. Could I find where that was true? And I went, oh, my gosh, I absolutely can. I was so concerned with how we looked on the outside that he spent so much of his life just trying to fit in this box. And I'd be like, I want your hair to look a certain way. I want your clothes to look a certain way. And really, many times his anger was in reaction to things that I was asking of him that were really not fair all the time. And also, if we're being completely honest, I think he picked up on the fact that I was more concerned with our appearance on the outside than my love for him on the inside. Mm. And that created a great amount of hurt for him, which then manifested as anger. So when I used Katie's work to really get to my part in creating our relationship the way that it was, I really had to take full responsibility. Like, no wonder he was so angry some of the time. I did that. Right. So, so it gives yeah. you a more compassionate viewpoint of the other person. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Took me out of victim mode, made me empowered. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we need. I want to look very quickly yeah. at some of the stuff in the book because we're talking about all kinds of stuff here. Yeah. Um, and you've got you have nine steps in the book. But I want to look at the first one because I think this was integral. When I look at turning points in my life, mm -hmm. trusting my gut is always what's got me yeah. through. And you talk about the importance of this. Yes. I was lucky enough to be taught that as a child. But, I can't even imagine. <laughs> but even though my parents and grandparents stressed, always trust your gut. What's your gut doing? You know, do you really want to come back and live in England? What's your gut saying? Yes. You know, always. 
Um, but you still, I think, question yourself sometimes, you know, am I just being overly whatever? Yeah. So what's your experience with trusting your gut? Why do you start there with people? Well, because I think that is, uh, it's, a, it's a saying that everybody has heard before. So it's kind of for people who are not quite ready to go full bore spiritual or really understand the mind-body stuff, um, it's a good gateway drug in my book. Um, and I had never, I had used my mind to make all of my decisions. What will look best to other people? What will be pleasing? What won't disappoint? What should I be doing? What shouldn't I be doing? And the thing about the gut is, it doesn't give a darn about any of that. It just is. And it has a very strong response if you're willing to listen to it. But you got to get a little bit still and you've got to get outside of your mind. And so I really focused on a head, heart and gut trifecta, as, as I called it. Yeah, let mind be there. But as the saying goes, the mind is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. I wanted to have that gut that that uh, the strength of all those, the neurons in the gut and all of that good gut brain stuff that can actually help you make a decision from a place that may be healthier than just making it from mind. Right. Excellent. Well, unfortunately, we're yeah. at the end of our segment. <laughs> right. I knew this would fly by. <laughs> um, I would add to that trusting your gut pacing is incredibly important. So trust your gut on pacing. Yes. You know, sometimes it's you need to you have this surge and you just need to rush through and get rid of stuff or whatever yeah. it is. And other times, just give yourself the space to just leave it for a couple of days. Exactly. But, yeah. So a final quick thought you'd like to leave listeners with. And uh, what, what do you want them to know about your book? Um, I just want them to know that you don't have to run out and get divorced if you're in a bad marriage. But when I say unstick, I just mean you got to do something. Because if you stay in stagnation, then it's going to take away from your life force energy the work that you actually came here to do. So honor what you're feeling in your gut. And you are empowered to make those changes. And if you'd like a free copy of my book, you can go to unhitchedbook.com. Um, and there you can get a free copy of it before it even comes out in print. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> unhitchedbook.com. Yes, unhitchedbook.com. Okay. All right. And you do go into that how to, how to figure out if you want to stay or mm-hmm. go as well, because that's mm-hmm. an important thing. Absolutely. So awesome. Thank you so much. Great uh, information. Appreciate you being with us today, Sunny Joy. Thank you so much, Vicki. It's been a pleasure to be here. And my guest, Sunny Joy McMillan, her book, Unhitched, Unstick Your Bad Marriage. And she has another website, too, where you can find out more about her and the work that she does, goldenoversoul.com. And uh, you can find me at conversationslive.net. If you have questions, comments, feedback on today's show, you can reach me at 800-495-7617. We'll see you next week. Until then, live well, live strong. Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, we'll explore the magic of circle work, the practice that women around the world are using to heal and empower themselves with Jalal Hall Bonheim. And if you're feeling trapped in a job that's deadening your soul and crushing your spirit, career coach Maya Dewar provides a six-step framework to help you find your higher calling and work that matters. Tune in Monday at noon Pacific time or catch an encore Fridays at 6 a.m. Catch up with past shows on conversationslive.net. Chat with Vicki on Twitter at Vicki St. Clair. Hi, this is Vicki St. Clair. If you have a business, service, or event and would like to deliver your message to a large audience, call me at 425-269-4772. Let Conversations Live shine the spotlight on you. Call 425-269-4772.